All right, places, everyone. Quiet on the set. Curtains in five. Welcome back to Footlights, a community theater podcast from the Quad Cities. I'm Jaren Michelle. And I'm Chris Hicks. And we welcome to the studio today a man that I have heard endless good things about from so many people. He is an educator. He's a director. He's an actor, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> Technician. Probably done, had your hands in a little bit of everything, as so many people have, um, from our very own Augustana College. It's Mike Terzinski. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm super excited. Introduce yourself a little bit. Talk about the kind of stuff that you do. Yeah. So uh, currently employed by Augustana College as the technical director and professional faculty running the uh, design and tech program. Um, So I'm in charge of all the sets, lights, sound, all that fun stuff with the college. Uh, but then I also am out in the community, directing, acting, designing, um, other duties as assigned, <laughs> essentially, um, to uh, to do my best out there in the community and yeah. uh, and enjoy myself and and make those connections out there. And we're really excited because this doesn't happen super often, but when it does happen, it's very exciting. You are directing a show in that is debut and opening at Playcrafters in a couple of weeks. Tell yes. us about Circle Mirror Transformation. Yes, Circle Mirror, uh, it is uh, a script by Annie Baker, um, who is a pretty prolific uh, playwright. Um, this piece actually came out uh, mid-2000s, um, and it revolves around a group of people coming together for a acting class at a community center. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, so it is it is very self-aware <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and it's really fun as a both as an educator but as a theatrical artist to be able to explore the rehearsal process in a rehearsal process. Um, <laughs> and uh, she writes it in such a way that these are five people coming together from very, very, very different walks of life. Um, which yeah, it's is a diverse cast of characters. Yes, yeah, um, which is very similar to what we see in a community theater setting already, mm-hmm. of a lot of diverse people coming together to create a, a finalized product. And so there's a lot of really interesting uh, ways to go about it. Um, we also have different levels of experience with our cast, and so uh, we're the the show revolves around a lot of different acting games that you would see in a rehearsal process or uh, different. Uh, monologuing and and getting notes on monologues and stuff like that. Um, and so by, because everyone has different experience levels, um, we're also having to kind of teach those things at the same time as we're rehearsing the actual scripted parts of this play. Right. And as you can imagine, things like explosion tag and uh, <laughs> and uh, we call it uh, like circle mirror transformation is actually an acting game. Um, oh, those sorts of oh, things. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, it's where you kind of uh, essentially do an action and make a sound, and then people mimic it and repeat it and then transform it, and then it goes around the, the circle. Um, oh. And But we have to teach those games and play those games before we can like block those games and right. like make them structured theater. And so there's this, this sense of looseness because there is a little bit of game to it. There's a little bit of, uh, of organicness to the blocking. Um, but then we also need the structure to still be able to tell the story correctly. So it's, it's been a really, really fun process so far, and I'm, I'm really excited to keep – keep polishing it. Um, everything's blocked and we're already up on stage. Um, after little women closed this last weekend, now we're, now we're up there and we're, we're hitting the ground running and excited to show the world in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I can tell you're excited off mic. You seemed, you seem very like a little bit more quiet and reserved, but once you started talking about circle mirror, you kind of, you kind of lit up. I'm excited. So I'm excited to see what you guys have put together. Talk about, uh, the characters 
in the show. Yeah, so uh, Marty is uh, the leader of this community center. Uh, she's wanted to have this uh, this class, this adult drama class for, for quite some time. Um, and she has roped her husband into being a participant. Um, so, so James is along for the ride. Um, and uh, he comes in with absolutely no experience at all uh, and is just kind of going through the motions, to say to speak, but, but learns a lot over the course of the show. Um, and they learn a lot about their relationship over the course of the show as well. Um, some good things, but also some bad things um, because they're spending time in this very vulnerable position. Yeah. Um, there's also a, uh, a recently divorced gentleman um, who is coming in in an attempt to make friends, um, to kind of start the Aww. new part of his life. Because um, uh, mid-40s is the character, um, so kind of in the back half of their life, but things have now kind of gone on their head and is trying to figure out how to reform those connections that he hasn't had to for the, mo- for the majority of his adult life. Yeah. Um, there's a young woman um, who is a... Uh, not failed actress, but but has moved from New York, um, has not made it the way they'd wanted to, um, to this small town in Vermont, and is uh, attempting as kind of a, a reboot of their life as well. Mm. Um, but they're obviously very experienced because they have acted before in a professional setting. And then there is a, uh, a young teenager um, who is taking this class because she wants to uh, get the role of Maria in their high school's upcoming production of West Side Story. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> when so, you said Maria, I was thinking um, the hills are alive. Oh. <laughs> Sound of music. Yeah. Um, so again, they run the gamut of, of ages and, and genders and identities, um, yeah. and they're able to really uh, come together as a, as a unit over the course of this show um, as they find out who they are and why they're here and what they're looking for, um, and if they're able to find it, and in some cases not. Um, it's really a show about people being people, which is, I, I love those sorts of plays, those, those slices of life that allow us to kind of just take a look into an everyday occurrence that we all could go through in any, we could go sign up for a class like this, at the Y or, or something like that and go experience this. And it would just be, feel like a slice of life, but there are important changes happening in every interaction that we have. Yeah. Um, and it's really fun to explore that. Oh, I can't wait to see this now. When does it open? Did you say? Uh, August 17th. August 17th. Yep. So mar- mark your calendars. And it runs two weekends. Yep, at two Play- weekends. Playcrafters Barn Theater. Is this part of the Barn Owl series It as is. Well? It is the second Barn Owl series. So you chose this script. Uh, I actually did not. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, I got this gig uh, a little uh, back around. Um, one of my students was actually graduating uh, and had offered this script and got picked and, and chose to do it. Um, but then due to life circumstances and them graduating and moving on to other things, um, they were not sure they were going to be able to be around as much or mm. around at all. Um, and so they ended up uh, having to drop out and decline to do the show. Um, and it is while I was in Sense and Sensibility at Playing Crafters and uh, Kathy Graham, the president, kind of just shot me a text and was, hey, <laughs> what are you doing in August? Well, I have a couple other shows, but sure, why not? Oh, you were um, in Sense and Sensibility, yep. weren't you? That yes. was so cute, the way it was staged. <laughs> that, I, Jen, I, Jen did a wonderful job. Thought I recognized you. <laughs> that was that was such a fun show. I was the loud one. <laughs> such a fun show. You were, that's right. That was such a fun show. Yeah, a, oh, my a, goodness. It was a blast. That was super fun. Um, talk about talk a little bit more about like what specific you, specifically you like about this story. What are you excited about? Uh, for Circle? Yeah. Um, again, I, I really appreciate the the slice of life aspect mm-hmm. um, and being able to show real people on stage. Um, so often, 
um, a lot of, I do a lot of big musical stuff with music guild and stuff like that too, but it's hard to get the humanity across in those big kind of spectacle shows. Yeah. Um, and with what we do in academic theater and as well in, in like the Barnell series, like, uh, with what we, you guys did with Stop Kiss, um, is it's very much about the people and about yeah. telling the stories of these people, whether they're real or not, they're still implied that there is some realism to this, that these people kind of existed in some way, shape, or form. Um, and to be able to translate those stories into a, a way that, that is accessible, um, but also in a way that uh, is digestible. Um, because it's not easy to always watch Slice of Life either, because yeah. sometimes it can feel boring. Sometimes it can feel, well, this is a day-to-day thing. Why would I need to watch it, right? So we still need to have that, that captivism of the audience. But it's still important to be able to explore it because that's how we find our own humanity. That's how we find our own feelings is by seeing other people live through their interactions and their emotions. Um, And we can tie ourselves to that story in some way, shape or form. We can find a little bit of ourselves in a character or multiple characters or uh, a circumstance that they're going through. You know, we don't have to be divorced to understand what changing a life is like. Um, What, what, what taking a second stab at at a a back end of your career is like Um, what, uh, what it feels like to be a, a teenager really, really wanting something and working really, really hard for mm-hmm. it. Um, those are all things that we can really uh, adapt to and, and understand. And when we see it on stage, we can begin to understand it more as well. Can I circle back? Mm-hmm. My rehearsal experience is very different <laughs> from most because my experience was at Genesius Guild mm-hmm. where we put on a Shakespeare play in two weeks and Don Wooten, my theatrical mentor, uh, was a very hands-off director. Mm-hmm. He depended on you to come up with what you were doing, and he only stepped in if he really hated what you were doing. <laughs> he, never, <laughs> he never really complimented what you were doing. So I would like to know, and, and I think maybe our listeners would too, what as a director, what do you do to prepare your actors before you get them on stage and they start interacting with each other, if you do that? Yeah. Um, Don and I would probably get along in our directing. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but I, I, do, I do have a level of where I, I want my actors to really be involved in their choices. Um, I, as an actor, when I act, I don't want to be told exactly what to do. Um, I want to be able to find my character. I want to be able to find the bits that make sense. I, if I'm supposed to be funny, let me try my best to be funny uh, within the confines of the show. Um, if there's a serious moment, yes, the when I direct, there's, there's the point A to the point B to the point C. You have to go here. You have to walk out that door. You have to interact with this prop because the stage directions say so right. or the, the plot devices need it to happen. Um, but... If the actors don't believe in the action I'm giving them or the motivation I'm giving them or anything like that, then it's never going to read correctly. Uh, so I I expect and I, I require a sense of organicness um, in our rehearsal room. So, again, I'll, I'll block a scene and say, yep, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, we're going to cross down stage, and then you're going to sit down. And when they do it and I see the look on their face that goes, this doesn't make sense. Why am I doing this? <laughs> I don't understand What's this crazy director think he's doing? Um, we stop and we talk about it. Yeah. And we figure out why it feels weird. Um, is it it feels unnatural? Is it you don't feel the motivation? Is it the action doesn't make sense? Is it just really hard for you to do that in that scene because you also have to remember all these lines and you have to be 
juggling or something while, while I'm asking you to do it. Um, and we have a conversation about it. Um, and then we come to either a compromise to figure out a better way to do it that makes sense for them, or they start to understand what my feeling is and why I'm asking them to do that of them. And they go, oh, okay, that makes sense. I, I get where you're coming from now. Um, I also consider table work to be imperative yeah. to a process. Um, we read through the script several times before we even get up on our feet, um, and we talk through those scenes in depth. Um, so a lot of those really important choices uh, for the character is made before we even start walking around. Um, and so they know where their motivation is coming from. They know their background. They understand why these choices are being made before we start talking or before we start talking through it um, so that they're able to really justify their actions uh, as soon as they're up there and as soon as they're moving. Um, and we don't have to have as many stops and have a conversation about why we need to do it this way because we're already kind of on the same page going into it. Right. Well, and especially for a show like this that sounds as though it's very, very character driven. Mm -hmm. Is this a sort of script where uh, the, the script itself gives you a lot of background on each character or how much how much of it was sort of open to your own interpretation? Annie writes in such a way. <laughs> um, I've been a fan of Annie's work for, for quite some time. I actually teach the sister show to this is called The Aliens and I teach that show uh, for our design classes. Oh, that sounds funny. Um, and that's a show about three guys hanging out behind a coffee shop. So again, another slice of life kind of show. Yeah. Um, and so she writes in a way that's really, really hyper-specific about certain things mm. and really, really, really open to interpretation about others. Um, and what I've found through a little bit of research and, and looking at interviews and watching some behind-the-scenes stuff of her writing is she really does rely on actors as well in her writing. Mm. Um, this show particularly uh, was all done through workshop. Um, so she had five people playing these parts in a rehearsal room and essentially kind of going at it and seeing what sticks and seeing what doesn't. Oh, uh, very cool. And so yeah. there's, a, like, there's, how else better to get realism than to actually capture a real thing right. of, of five actors being actors in an acting room, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so she was, she's able to really, really capture that. And again, that's where a lot of really hyper-specific things happen there. But then, on the other hand, we're not really told, we're, we're finding out all of this backstory, the, the stuff I said about uh, Teresa coming from New York and, and Schultz being divorced. We're finding all of that out through monologues being told by other people. Uh, and yeah. so part of the acting exercises is um, Marty, for instance, does a monologue about Lauren, who is the teenager, mm. and and ah. gives all of this information, this backstory about Lauren, mm. but it's coming through Marty. So there's two acting moments there. There's Lauren yeah. hearing about herself and having to have been open at some point with Marty, not that we see it. We don't see this interaction happening. Right. All this is happening off stage. But Marty has to find out all of these things and then has to act it out. Um, and every character does that about somebody else over the course of the show. And that's where we get a lot of this backstory from. Um, so it's not really laid out in a, you know, Schultz is X, you know, 45 years old and divorced and lives over here. No, you find that all out through these monologues. And it's a really, really interesting way to get to know these characters. And then we as actors and directors and, and production staff get to fill in the gaps of we go, now, why did he say that? Yeah. And we get to go, well, according to the monologue, you know, he's been divorced for X amount of time or he lives over here or he likes to, he's a carpenter, so he likes to make chairs. So we know all the, that basic stuff, but like, why does he, why does he interact with people this way? Why does he feel this way? Why does he, uh, why is he pushy in this conversation? Why is he a little subdued in this conversation? What, what in his past is causing this to happen? And it's a lot of, well, what ifs? And that's okay. Like, we yeah. get to have those conversations. What if Schultz, uh, you know, was not the best husband? What if Schultz was a perfect husband and his wife wasn't the best husband? Like, what are all these different variables that we don't necessarily know? And we will never know. 
because they are fictional characters and she hasn't written a, a full backstory in all of these. Right. So we have to make those choices and make sure those choices make sense in the world, but then also that those choices not necessarily translate, but that they uh, justify all of the choices we make moving forward. That's really interesting because you're making these decisions. Why does it? But another production might be entirely different yep. because people interpret those characters differently. So leaving it open like that really makes it a dynamic show. Yeah, and uh, I I like to think that this is what I'm able to bring to most productions I direct. Um, I, I like to see between the lines. I, I love subtext. I love... I'm in academia for a reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I really love diving into scripts and finding those those things that yeah. uh, that we can that, that can set a show apart, but also that gives uh, an actor uh, the ability to really latch onto it and, and make something really really special. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite productions I ever I ever did was at Playcrafters in 2019, uh, something intangible, um, which is about the. Oh, the, I saw that. Oh, wonderful. Oh, I loved that <laughs> show. You. So it made me cry. That's like one of Good. I think we did that our job. might <laughs> that honestly might be one of my favorite shows that I've seen to date. It just moved me. I mean, it was very special also because it was a birthday present for my mom and my Nana. And so the oh. fact that we all got to do that together was very special. Um, but I just, I love the, I loved the story so much. And those two, the, the two, um, I don't rem- I don't remember what their names were, but the two leads yeah. um, just had such great chemistry and were so, just so in their role, like just so believable and so just so good like it was it just was so such a moving story and the acting was fantastic it, it was it was awesome oh that, i'm so oh i'm so glad oh, i got to talk to you now i didn't I know that was warm you fuzzies over here yeah um, oh it was such a good such a no, good show. I, I that show holds a special place in my heart for multiple reasons um it's one of the first shows i worked on uh, professionally out of college um down in florida and so it's always just kind of stuck with me wow. and when that when that opportunity came up for that to happen um and uh, my very good friend Anthony and I had talked about that show for so many, so many years, um, and he had always wanted to play that that Disney role. Um, and then Adam Cerny was able to play the Dale role, and yeah. those two together, as you said, was just this most amazing chemistry. Yeah. Um, and that's where I that show is where I learned how to have these conversations with actors, of to lead them in the direction and to make sure we have those in depth reasonings behind what we're doing and why we're feeling this way and and obviously Disney obviously wasn't Disney in the show because we can't use that because right Dis- Disney has lawyers yeah. but, uh, oh do they have lawyers Disney yes. got big lawyers <laughs> so that's the the Winstons but. Um, Knowing what we do about Walt and the goods and the bads, um, yeah. the very bads, um, but being able to show that little bit of a darker side of what that industry looks like, but also an ode to that industry because that what Walt did did give us the industry that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can argue for days whether that should have happened that way or not, or if we would have gotten to where we are without the way he acted. But regardless, it did happen, and we are the artists that we are exist today because of what he did. Yeah. Um, and so there's a sense of that, but also the humanity behind it. And also that there is always people behind an artist that is supporting them in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, and so it, it hit all those buttons for me. And so um, looping back to circle mirror, um, this is another ode to creating art. Yeah. Uh, and I feel very strongly about that and, and being able to tell the story to people who don't necessarily know what it's like 
to have to go into a rehearsal room to have to go through and have those those hard conversations, those vulnerable conversations, um, to deal with life on top of doing art, um, yeah. especially at a community level. Um, we're asking actors and directors and designers and everything to give hours and hours and hours of their time um, for next to nothing, if not nothing, um, and because we love it. And that's really yeah. important for people to remember. Like, There's a lot of work that goes into it. It's not always just memorizing some lines and going up and being funny on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say that people, you know, um, first thing to go in school curriculums when the money gets tight are the arts. And people will always say sports develops teamwork and yada, yada, yada. Theater is the same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't. I don't disagree with people who say that about sports. I I played sports in, in high school as well. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot of my team building f- mentality from playing soccer. Oh sure. Um, but uh, I also learned just as much from being in shows, um, and yeah. I still do. Uh, and you know, I think I'm I'm lighting Pippin right now at, at Music Guild, and just thinking purely on hours of people have had to use to master the thing they're doing in that show. Okay, so I'm curious. Mm-hmm. You seem more heavily on the tech side of theater. Uh, that's where I cut my teeth in, definitely. So what incident or situation or whatever planted the seed in you to go into theater? Uh, I chased a girl. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Same. She left them. Actually, I went to high school at Alleman, right up the hill. Um, and, uh, high school girlfriend was in a show, so I auditioned for it too. And, and what was that show? Uh, Dracula. Oh, fun. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, and I did not get cast. Um. Did she get cast? She did. What's she, who was she? Uh, well, it was a retelling of Dracula oh. that was, uh, written by the director. Um, and so it was this, there was a comic spin to it. Um, oh, and so fun. I honestly don't remember she was in it because there was a lot of additional well she obviously made a big impression on you I was too busy being Renfield so (laughs) oh I love that story um and we broke up shortly after that but it as everyone always says the bug bit me yeah and then I I but you weren't cast in the show did you work backstage then um well so I uh, I didn't get cast but I was on the speech team uh, and so I was still kind of in the periphery of the drama department, and mm-hmm. the uh, the young man who was supposed to play Renfield ended up having to drop out, and I got a call with a week's notice oh, wow. to ooh, ooh, and asking ooh, me ooh. to do it. And again, girlfriend was in the show, so I had to say yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so how, how old were you at the time? High school? It would have been 15, 16. Okay, somewhere in there. How big wow. is that? How big is that part? It's how a, many it lines? Was a, it was a big. It was a hundred some lines. Wow. For a kid who'd never been on stage before. And Renfield also is the creepy little bug-eating, you know, gremlin, essentially. So there's, like, acting involved. It's not just going up and saying some stuff. Like, I had to act. And so that that really kind of sparked it for me. Um, I didn't understand the technical side of theater until I got to college. Um, When I went to University of Iowa, I was actually going as a history major. Um, and they're like, well, you have all these credits. What, what do you like to do? I'm like, I like to act. They're like, oh, cool. Well, you can probably get a theater minor relatively easily. And by sophomore year, I was a theater major in stage management and lighting well, design. We were so. reversed then. I was a theater major with a history minor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I quickly dropped my history major to the chagrin of my parents. Uh, but we, uh, we made it. Um, 
and I, I kind of fell in love with the the backstage stuff in college, um, especially lighting design, stage management, um, and that kind of then transferred over into directing after I left school. Uh, worked as a stage manager professionally for a couple of years. Oh, you did? Where um, was that? Uh, down in Florida, uh, a little place called Gulf Shore Playhouse in Naples. Ah. Um, well, little. It's not so little anymore. It was when I was there. Um, now they just built a billion dollar new new place, which wow. is awesome. And very, very proud of everyone that's there. Shelly Cooper also spent some time in Florida. Did you yeah, guys, she was. Did you she was in Orlando. Uh, we did not. Okay. Um, we we uh, she was a little farther north than me. Um, mm. Because that's a very long state, just like Illinois. Oh, sure. <laughs> so I was at the very southern tip uh, on the west side um, where all the money is. Um, uh, and none of it got into my I've pocket. Had, uh, <laughs> I've had some, some very wealthy uh, employers have condos down there. Yep. Yeah, I think it's uh, some like 30% of all billionaires in the world own property in Naples, something like that. Wow. Now, whether, whether, that. whether they live there or stay there ever is besides sure. the point. But yeah, yeah. but they own it. There's a lot of money in that area. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, and none of it went into my pocket. So <laughs> I came back. Uh, but I, 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 falling out of love with stage management isn't the word, but it's what I use um, just because I didn't, I missed being a little more in control. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also learned some of the best directing habits I've ever learned by stage managing for some incredible directors in those circumstances. Yeah. Um, and I've always really liked to have kind of that, that hand in all of the piles mentality. Um, it's why I do lighting. It's why I do sound. It's why I do scenic. It's why I teach tech. It's why I direct. It's why on occasion I get up on stage. Um, well, and if you're going to direct, it's so, I, I mean, I don't, out of all the people that we've talked to, I don't see how you could possibly be an effective director without having had at least a little bit of experience in all these different areas. I would find it very hard. Yeah. And as someone who works in all those areas, I know the directors who don't have that experience. Mm. Uh, it's very obvious yeah. when that happens. And it, it doesn't mean that they're bad directors by any stretch of the imagination, but it means the conversations have to be different. Right. Um, sure. When we're talking about design intention behind things or um, how we want to light a scene or how we want to set to look or how we want sounds to feel or, or any of those sorts of things, it's much easier talking to someone with a technical background because we sure. know the lingo. We know we, we can talk shop, essentially. Yeah. I can go to a lighting designer and tell him exactly what I'm looking for mm-hmm. and how I would do it if I was doing it. And whether he wants to do it that way, that's up to them. But uh, sometimes it, it's really easy to be able to have those conversations when you have those backgrounds, whereas it is harder um, when they come in without uh, that sort of knowledge and just go, you know, I want it light over there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's very descriptive. But, right. you know, but as a designer, you figure out how to have those conversations. So it, it just you adapt the conversation to, to whomever it is. Um, Dr. Popple at Augustana always likes to say that she got C's in lighting. So she knows enough to be able to talk a little bit about it, but not enough to go sure. really in depth with it. So, you know, we, <laughs> we figure out the best ways to communicate and then we trust each other as well. I know that she's going to put her actors in a great place to succeed and I'm going to she's going to put them in. I'm going to give her the best lighting I can give in that situation and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Can you talk about um, some of the design vision for Circle Mirror? Uh, yeah, um, there is none. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, when, when you were talking about the the plot or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I thought this is going to be a very minimal set. Yeah, um, it's actually kind of exciting for me. So I've, uh, I was actually listening to your guys' uh, podcast with Alex um, last night in a little bit of prep for this. Um, uh, Alex and I have worked on stuff together for Oh, well, thank you for, for the years. listen. Of course. Um, I listened to a bunch over the last week since you contacted me. <laughs> 
I'm, neur- I'm neurotic like that. Get, the, get those downloads but, up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but uh, Alex was a big drive in getting Barnell started at Playcrafters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was around for a lot of the kind of earliness of when Barnell started. Um, and Barnell started really, really um, minimal um, in terms of well, funding, there, there was no money for it, mm-hmm. um, but also just in, in aesthetic. Um, I remember uh, when they did Constellations, um, that's just two people on, on a black stage, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Christians was even pretty relatively easy. Um, so there, there's always been kind of a history with the Barnells of being minimal in their in their production quality. And not to say that's a bad thing that, um, like Stop Kiss or uh, Five Women that was mentioned earlier, Um that those production qualities definitely got upped in the Barnell, and I don't see anything, anything wrong with that. But there is something beautiful to minimalist theater as well. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate being able to kind of go back to that to some extent, um, both for budgetary reasons. Um, this show is not going to cost us a dime outside of rights, um, but also because this is a kind of show that doesn't need it. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, if you are going to go into a community, a community center to have a, uh, an acting class, um, it's not going to be not going to be a lot special, of stuff in there, <laughs> and it's not going to be special lighting, and there's not going to be like all these really like cool theatery moments. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be like the fluorescent lights are on, and there's some mirrors in the corner, and there's some chairs scattered around, and there's a yoga ball and the hula hoop, right? Like yeah. that's all we need for this show. Um, it is the most sparse I've ever really conceptualized in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also saves me, and a lot of I don't have to worry about the technical side. Yeah. Um, while I direct and I can worry about the technical side, like something intangible, there's a lot of really beautiful moments in that. I had to worry a lot about tech for it. Um, this one, not so much. I, I get to worry about the acting because I can, uh, Roger's actually my lighting designer for it. Um, I can tell Roger to uh, light it, uh, turn them on, and then turn them back off again. And that's that's about <laughs> yeah. it. And there's one special moment towards the end of the show that really kind of all brings everything together and it gets really, really super theatrical. Um, and if you want to see that, mark your calendars yeah, you go. and Absolutely. go see the show. But but other than that, the, the design aesthetic is literally just put some chairs on stage and, and let them act around them. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to see, oh, I'm excited to see this. Me too. So I want to hear more about some of some of your favorite theater things you've ever done. Talk about some moments, whether it's acting, design, directing that you're that you're like, man, I did that and I'm proud of that. Um, outside of intangible, uh, intangible is my best directing I've ever, uh, in my opinion, that I've, I've ever been able to accomplish. And I will always be chasing, <laughs> chasing that high. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I've been really proud. Uh, I did whistleblowers dilemma over at Playcrafters um, a couple years back now. Um, and that Ooh, was, a, what is that, about? that was a new play, um, by Jimmy Cedarquist, uh, about a, uh, a, a automotive company in Michigan. Um, that uh, the boss is essentially uh, stealing millions of dollars from this company. Um, and he finds, uh, the, the main character finds it. Um, but then due to all of these various interesting legal constraints, yeah. um, Jimmy is an accountant in his day job. Uh, <laughs> and it's very noticeable in the script in a lot of ways. Because there's a lot of legal jargon that we had to kind of work through and talk through. Like, maybe... We yeah. need to simplify this a little bit. <laughs> um, but it was really, really interesting because it, it eventually came out to, like, the state can't audit because of budget cuts. But then if a whistleblower calls in between, like, at the 
before the first of the year, then like this whole thing happens and the money would go back into the company and not go to him or whatever. And there are a lot of, a lot of bouncing variables. Um, but being able to work on new work is always, always really fun for me. Yeah. Um, so getting that opportunity with Jimmy to do that and have a playwright in the room um, while we were rehearsing and being able to adapt things and change things and get clarification on things and go, this really doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> how's that work? Or there's a, there was a lot of math involved and we had to make sure all the math made sense. Oh, God. Um, oh you wouldn't have to worry about that with me. <laughs> you could put up the most outrageous numbers and I would believe it. <laughs> well, and that's kind of what we got to, but still for our own satisfaction as, as actors and directors, like we wanted to make sure it was right. Because sure. I because would, there's always going to be someone in the audience. I'm that, guy, yeah. I'm that guy who'd be sitting there like, <laughs> I don't know, that doesn't, add, and now I'm out of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, it was really fun working in, in that capacity. Um, it also, in, in that show, um, I was able to, stretch some actors in ways that they hadn't stretched before, um, which is really, really exciting for me. That's that's something I look for in every project I ever work on. Um, again, that the educator and me, um, yeah. we're only becoming better artists by trying stuff that we haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's always my goal in any of this. That's why I was very excited with Circle Mirror that I have a couple of actors who, who don't have a ton of experience. That's awesome. Um, and they're able to kind of come in and, and learn alongside some people that have a ton of experience. And, and it's it's really holistic. Um, design wise, um, I'm really, really proud of, uh, the set I did for Christmas Carol at Music Guild, uh, 2017, 2018. Um, it is a total different take on your standard Christmas Carol. Um, still the same music. It's Alan Minkin's Christmas Carol. It still feels the same, but I did essentially, uh, from inside Scrooge's mind. Um, Ooh. so it was all black and gold and uh, a giant exploded building. Um, so it wasn't just the nice little row of, <laughs> of English houses. You can't see my flocking. face right now. I just realized but that sounds really cool. Um, so there was a mixed response from people, uh, sure, sure. um, cause it wasn't, they came to see their traditional Christmas show and I darkened it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. that's my aesthetic. I mean, um, but that's Christmas. But it that's was, so Christmas Carol. But it though. was, it was really yeah. fun because it, oh, and it showed the brightness at the end. Like that's, yeah. that's what I cared about is showing that Scrooge has this really, really crazy journey. Um, and it feels like we spend nine tenths of that show about how bad of a person Scrooge is. <laughs> and we really forget about how he f- changes at the end because yeah. the change happens in a song mm-hmm. and then, and then it's curtain call. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. <laughs> um, and so I was, I was really proud of being able to bring that different aesthetic to a, a fairly classic show. Um, and again, I've kind of carried that with me too, is I, I generally try and do something a little out of the box or a little different for whatever I bring it to any show because I, I like to push it. I like to push boundaries. Um, and, that's what theater's about is trying new things. And sometimes, oh, I failed more often than I can count. Um, that's important to remember, too, is not is being okay with, with trying something and it not working and then having the <laughs> the ability to own it and yeah. then move on. Um, or uh, And you learn. And learn and do it better the next time. Or you realize that I can see why no one's ever tried this before. I guess I, I guess I won't be doing that again. <laughs> which is uh, a learning experience. Which is experience. a learning experience. Yeah. Um, but it's... Uh, 
it was told it was said in my when I graduated our our speaker was essentially like you are going to fail more often than you are going to succeed um and I took that not necessarily just in in jobs or in life or anything like that but also in the projects we work on um and so if I don't try something new in every single show I'm I'm feel like I'm doing a disservice to myself because I'm not pushing myself to to continue to learn um we have to keep learning as we move on through our our theatrical experiences and, and everything in life and if we're not then then what's the point so can you... What really impressed me about what you said about um, A Christmas Carol is because it is such a well-known... Everyone knows the story. And the same thing with Little Women. And that, what I really liked about both those shows is the fresh... You could still make it fresh yeah. so that it doesn't feel boring because we know it. So I'm. I wish now I would have seen that Christmas Carol production, but Mr. Hicks does not like musicals. Oh no! Well, that's what you've got me for now. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I say, you know, you don't have to go. I can invite. No, I'll go. <laughs> I think. Like, then I think Mr. Hicks hasn't seen the right musicals. Well, there, I believe, I truly believe there are musicals for everybody. I understand that everyone doesn't always want to go up and see a bunch of people just going up and singing and dancing. But I think there there are musicals that... He will admit to liking Man of La Mancha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think he really enjoyed um, Something Rotten at Music That, makes that sense. was oh, so rotten. original. So That's a great fun. show. I love that show. It's a wonderful show. But... I think it's more that he just doesn't like to admit. I was going to say, I think Mr. Hicks is fully. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired. So you say you like to try something new uh, Mm -hmm. with every show that you do. What is that? I'm going to keep coming back to Circle Mirror Transformation because we, again, we don't get to, we don't, the timing timing doesn't often, (laughs) (laughs) the timing doesn't often happen that we get to do these episodes in time for people to see the shows that are going on. So I want to milk it as much as we can. Um, What's, what's the something new for you in Circle Mirror? Uh, The something new in this one directorially, directorially is, uh, how I'm integrate how I've integrated this cast essentially mm. um, of essentially we'll by blocking we're essentially playing the game a little bit we're we're trying the things that people aren't necessarily uh, used to doing um, we're stretching them in that capacity before we throw them up on stage um, mm. so we're you know we're playing the explosion tag without the limits of the script right. to start with we're just playing um, mm-hmm. we're we're doing the circle mirror transformation game we're doing uh, we call it the number game where you count up to 10 uh, between everybody without overlapping numbers, but your your eyes are closed and you're not looking at each other. So uh-huh. it's kind of about becoming connected. And we're playing all of those. We played them in the, in the auditions. We played them in the rehearsal room. Um, and we're giving all of these, uh, well, I guess to say, in academic theater, all this stuff is normal to us. Um, we do this in our acting classes. We do this in our productions. We do this as warm-ups. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, um, like Cece and Roger... Um, Roger's part of the staff. Um, Cece is playing Lauren, the young girl, um, who are students at Augustana. They've seen all this. Um, mm-hmm. They've lived all this. They know all of this stuff. They've been in these kind of classes. Um, Eric, who is playing Schultz, and, and Adrian, who's playing Teresa, um, have been around theater enough to kind of know that this is stuff that happens, or they probably played games like this or similar to it in their in their past. And then people like Bez and, and Lance, who, who don't have as much experience, um, have never done any of this stuff before. 
and so we're bringing them all to kind of this this central group to to experience all these things together for either the first time or the hundredth time and to show that that's a different dynamic as well. Yeah, so you've really got all levels of experience mm-hmm. in this cast. That's super cool. Yeah. Is there, are there, because um, you've, so you've done academic theater and uh, non-academic theater. Mm-hmm. Um, are there uh, differences, talk about differences, similarities between the two, different things that you bring to each table, way, things that you've learned from one or the other that help, help you along? Talk about that. Yeah, to me, at least, in, in my experience, there, there's, there's, I don't want to call them levels, but there, there's three types of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is academia, there is community, and then there's professional. Um, and then professional is the, such a wild gambit of – it's such a spectrum. Um, yeah. You know, Circa is is so much different than what you're going to see in, in Chicago in a lot of ways. It's going to be so much different than what you see in Broadway. It's so sure. much different than what you're going to see in the side streets on Broadway, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are all very, very different types of professional theater. Um, but they are still kind of – the levels still feel roughly the same just by how pay works and, and stuff like that. Um, in academia, we we care so much about the text. Mm. Um, we will wax poetic for hours <laughs> on subtext and what we're saying and what we're thinking and, and teaching our students how to have those skills to really be able to uh, absorb a script – and to uh, think through all of the critical choices being made, um, to really have really hard design theory behind all of it, to have justification for the colors we're using and the yeah. textures we're using and those sorts of things. I relate to that as an English major. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and you, you have to find all of those, those nuances. Um, we're also in academia, we don't shy away from the weird as much, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have a little bit of an open book to be able to try stuff that won't be commercially successful. Um, We don't have to necessarily worry about selling tickets for our livelihood. Um, So we're able to experiment a little bit more. And that's why I think you find the, the people that you do that go back to academia after they, they have their career or during their career, I wouldn't say I'm, stop doing theater by going back but because it, it allows us to go back into the experimentation to trying the new things to being okay with failing to to have those options to really try new work or to try different work or to try readaptations of work that wouldn't normally sell at play crafters or music guild or, or something like that yeah you know our, our upcoming season um shelly cooper's doing uh the musical nine um I can almost guarantee... A musical what? Uh, nine. Um, it's kind of a, an ode to film, um, and uh, but also some of the not-so-great things about film. Um, but that's not a show that's going to sell at Music Guild, and that's okay. Um, we we can be okay with that. No, granted, yes, we just did Cabaret, and that's a very commercial, <laughs> commercially popular show. But we still took cab- she took Cabaret in a very different tone than most than when Music Guild did Cabaret in 2015. Mm. Um, when Music Guild did Cabaret in 2015, it was about doing Cabaret. It was about the show, and it was it was flashy. And Bob did a wonderful job in still having the impact that that show is supposed to have, but it didn't have the darkness that Shelley and I put into it when we did it at school because we weren't worried about selling tickets. We were worried about the work and it affecting the students. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I don't 
uh, I'm not upset that that theaters have to worry about their bottom line by any stretch of the imagination. I, I understand that you have to do shows that are going to sell tickets. Right. Um, but my aesthetic doesn't always lend to doing the the Little Women or the the Sense and Sensibilities or like I enjoy myself with those, but those those aren't always necessarily my aesthetic, and I'm, I'm definitely more geared towards doing the the weirder stuff or the different stuff or the out of the box kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, can I put in a plug? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I would love to see Augustana go back to doing your shows two weekends because because mm-hmm. you have an audience out there that wants to see that kind of theater. I am certainly one. And doing it only one weekend, you don't get a reviewer in the uh, general public, and especially because newspapers are not covering theater of any kind anymore. Um and having an audience is important to the performers because the audience's reaction to their performance feeds their creativity. And I would just love to see Augie go back to, to perform. And plus, you put all that work in, Trust <laughs> and me, it's I, over in you are, you are speaking to the choir in a lot of ways. Um, Unfortunately, just with the semester transition, uh, the time just doesn't exist, um, which is the unfortunate part. Um, but they used to. But we were they were trimesters at that point. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So with the semester transition, um, which kind of coexisted with COVID in a lot of ways, um, so it feels like COVID's the reason, but it actually it's <laughs> it's it's a scheduling change. Oh. Um, we start so late now because we don't start until after Labor Day. Um, oh. we start the Tuesday after Labor Day, which is a really fun day to start. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, we, uh, we start so late. We don't have a true fall break. Sure. Um, and then spring makes it difficult too. Plus we have to fit an opera in there. Um, it just, it makes it a little unmanageable in terms of student involvement because also, you tend to find in academia that the students who are really succeeding on stage or off stage are also really, really good at a bunch of other stuff too. Um, (laughs) They all play instruments or sing in the choir or uh, are involved in their uh, specific majors, academic clubs or or whatever those might be. Example, Roger Pavey Jr. I was just thinking that. I was just Um, thinking that. So it's it's easier to, to, to nail down someone like Roger for a weekend as opposed to two. Um, so I don't disagree with you because, uh, yes, we do a ton of work, <laughs> um, and those students really do deserve it. Um, and I think if and when we are able to find a way to make that calendar work, we will. We will jump at it immediately. Um, it is something we talk about as, as faculty in our faculty meetings almost monthly of, of how can we figure out a better way to, to get people on stage longer and for, for more people to see it. Um, but just right now with the constraints that we have in the system and the, the faculty we do have, um, we just don't have the, the time or the capacity to, to run a show for that long, unfortunately. Well, and definitely all the more reason to, whether you're here in the Quad Cities or you're in a different community that happens to be near a college with a mm-hmm. theater program, like if you're looking for ways to support the arts in your community, uh, going to, col- to college, the- and not just college theater, but col- uh, you know college uh, like concerts or orchestra mm-hmm. or any, any of the art, like art galleries, uh, showings, like any of the arts that are happening at colleges are... I mean, A, definitely, I mean, need the support just as much as 
community projects mm-hmm. um, because I mean you're supporting young artists, you're supporting uh, but like but you know budding young artists, you're supporting cutting edge work. Like this is where and especially if you're interested in the non traditional types of arts because like you said this is where you know you don't have the constraints of you know having to sell ticket it reminds me of um i had a professor um who taught a like 400 level writing workshop once and on the first day of class he said i want to get he said i just want to say that everyone before anybody asks everyone in this room is getting an a now that we've got that now that you mm-hmm. don't have to worry about your grade let's just focus on your writing right from your heart yeah. yeah oh wow um yeah and it and it was it was a very it was it it made the it changed the dynamic of the class for sure trying to put a letter grade on art is weird it is right? i will say that at, like at, i'm relatively new to the whole teaching side of this whole thing um and trying to to letter grade a very subjective thing because mm-hmm. even then like I, I teach lighting and sound and I'm like, well, that's not my aesthetic, but it works. Yeah. So, like, I can't, like, mm-hmm. just because I wouldn't have done it that way doesn't mean that it isn't it's good. wrong, yeah. right? Like, um, but to go back to, to the community as a whole, what I've been really excited about lately is bringing those students out into the community. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, in, in your argument for multiple weekends, and I don't disagree, bringing our community in, I think it's almost more our job to push them out into the community. Um, to be involved out in our our community level or even with with Circa at a professional level. Um, We have students all over the place now. Um, And and Shelly Cooper's been a big drive with that, and and I'm glad that I kind of started in the community level and then worked my way in so that I already have those connections. Um, So we have the students like Roger, um, and then uh, I think... The young gal that uh, was in Hello, Dolly. Uh, Jacqueline. And... um... Black Box seems to have. Uh... Yeah, Laura. Laura's been a great resource for us. Um, she's she's been really really helpful on on allowing our students to kind of spread their wings out there. Um, oh, and the two students that were in uh, Barefoot in the Park, they were phenomenal. Yep. yep Will and Sarah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and, and I haven't seen Augie involved in the community like this in a while. So it's it's really nice. I, I've seen some smatterings, um, but that's usually because they're locals who have been in the community before they went to Augustana. Sure. Um, but now we're seeing people that aren't Quad City natives um, really pushing back out into the community and, mm-hmm. and trying stuff in, in, in between Black Box and Spotlight and Guild and, and uh, Playcrafters. Um, I think we have 10, 15 students out there now doing stuff in some sort of capacity, whether on or, or off stage. Um, we've also set up kind of, uh, networks with, uh, with Circa, um, where we have students helping them out. We're running spotlight, running technical boards, um, running the lighting and sound in their, their second venue over in the speakeasy. Um, so we're, we're finding all these opportunities to get them jobs, some of them even paid, um, to help boost those resumes, to help get them some, some financial independence. Um, and to realize that there is more in theater than just what they're seeing in their, their nuclear bubble of of their Augustana department because yeah. um, it can get it can be you can become trapped really fast in that environment as well I was literally just gonna say so so often I feel like uh when you've got a big especially private college like mm-hmm. private liberal arts college in a smaller town it feels like there can be um friction there between the college and the community or or a, mm-hmm. and even if it's not like friction necessarily like the you know the, the college bubble is yeah. a is a thing, and it's a, and it's such a shame because that seems like the arts are such a 
great way to bring a college community and a the bigger community of the town that it's in uh, together. And they should absolutely interact. And I feel like there's so many cases in which that is not the case. And so the fact that you know, you guys are working so hard to get your students out into the community is is awesome. And I admire Augustina so much for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's some some chicken and the egg stuff to some extent, too, because I, I do feel, too, is if we push our students out there and then our students are coming back to still obviously work on productions with us, that will hopefully then bring people back with them as well Yeah. Um, to support their new friends and um, you know chosen family and the, the people that they have got to know out in the community will then go, oh, wow, I would love to now that I know about Augustana Theater and I know the people involved in it, I feel more indication that I want to go see it, even if it is only for a weekend. Yeah. I might be able to make time to go support these people. Have you noticed that Mike is like the third or fourth guest we've had that refer to theater as family? Yeah. It well, is. It's tr- yeah. It is. It is, right? I mean. Theater yeah. is, it starts as an escape and then it becomes your life. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Um, it has helped me through the darkest of days and it has given me the brightest of days. Um, theater has changed my life unequivocally in a billion and a half different, for a billion and a half different reasons. Um, so, uh, I owe it not just my livelihood, but for my, my mental health and my well-being and, and everything. So I, I, that's part of why I also enjoy being in academia is I get to give that back. Um, I get to help other people find their joy with it and their passion with it, and will hopefully then translate that they get to do that for somebody else someday as well. Okay, my question that I try to put to all our guests, um, you and you have the unique situation of being both academic and in the community. Mm-hmm. Is there something you would like to see happen in community theater or change in community theater Mm, he's thinking. I have a laundry list. <laughs> um, okay, top three. <laughs> um, the biggest thing I would like to see um, is honestly just better communication between all the entities. You're um, not the first to say that. And Very good. This is not to put any of them down because I've worked for all of them and I think I get along with all of them. Um, no, I, I, I love everyone in this community, but it, it doesn't seem like we're always thinking through what the community as a whole is looking for or what the community as a whole is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I guess a little bit of a sidebar, I, I help run Terra at Skellington Manor, a, a haunted house here in, in Rock Island as well. Yo, that's um, so cool. And the way I look at that is that there's no competition in the haunted housing industry. There are three major haunts in the Quad Cities, and if all three of us succeed, then all three of us succeed. Yeah. Um, one of us being better or different in some way, shape, or form does not hurt the other ones because if someone's going out to go haunted housing, they're going to go to all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if they go to one and it's bad, then they might not keep going. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want us all to succeed at all at the same time. Um, and so I, I don't under, I, I do understand why, is in a business sense, you want yours, your theater, your place to be the one that people go to, and I, I don't discredit that. But I think if we worry holistically as our community as a whole being as strong as humanly possible, um, everyone will succeed from that because we are then training better actors. We are training better technicians. We are training better box office staff. We are, we are training better audience members. Training audience members is important. 
Mm-hmm. And if we if we're treating our audience members the same way across the board in all of our places, if we're treating our actors the same way across the board, if we're realizing that hey, X company is doing a show that needs a million and a half guys, maybe we shouldn't do a show that needs a million and a half guys too because there is a shortage of young men who are willing to be in theater right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we don't have to run into casting issues, and then we don't have to pull shows, or we don't have to change shows, or we don't have to you know go through all of those sorts of things on the back end. Yeah. Um, it had been talked about years ago of like making a consortium um, between all the leadership and all the Quad City theaters. I can't remember and who it was. It might have been Tristan. We were about talking. Right. Well, <laughs> I, well, he's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Yep. Um, one of the shows at Mockingbird, I think it was at Mockingbird, mm-hmm. was part of a trilogy. Sure, sounds familiar. <laughs> Now, see, that this is good. We've done so many episodes, we can't remember everything specifically. Or track everybody. <laughs> um, and you were worried it we wouldn't like, be able to get enough when people he's, in here. When he mentioned that that was a trilogy, it was like, well, wouldn't it be great if, say, Playcrafters did one, mm-hmm. and Mockingbird did the second, and, and Richmond Hill did the third or whatever, and coordinate that way? Yeah. And you're right about pulling cast members, because... Well, I think uh, Genesis Guild has had a real problem recently with getting male actors. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it, it has lessened up. Um, when I first moved back, I, I did notice very, very large divides between theatrical organizations. Um, I was one of the few at that time, at least that's how it felt, that kind of crossed the lines. That I would do some stuff at Playcrafters, while also my main gig was Music Guild. I, I worked there for summers as their technical director. Um, so I was there a lot, but then when I would come home, I'd do stuff in wherever needed, a, wherever I could say yes to. Um, I did stuff for Prenzy. I did stuff for QC Workshop when that was still there. Um, I, I kind of took wherever job, uh, as Alex said in his, I said yes a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and again, I'm just now realizing I can say no myself. Um, but uh, I kind of crossed those lines because I was financially dependent on it in, in a lot of ways. Um, I was still continuing to to grind my career. Um and I've seen that has lessened up a lot now. I, I, I'm seeing lots of different cast members float between various venues and, and that's stuff like really, that. It, that's really interesting because Patty Flaherty talked about um, or back in the 70s, mm-hmm. nobody crossed the line. No. And then she said it's so much better now. And I think it was Alex that said, oh, there are people, they just don't go to other – It is better now. It is not fixed. You don't uh, look old enough to have been around in the seventies. I was not, but I okay. <laughs> but I've 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 been around enough to hear all of the stories. Sure, sure. Um, it used to be very, very, very territorial. Yeah. Um, and it has lessened up over the years. And when I came uh, again, I kind of ingrained myself in twenty ten was my first kind of really big year in the community here. Um, I I noticed it. Um, and it's definitely lessened from then. But there are still definitely the people who they are only at Music Guild or they are only at Playcrafters or they are only at Mockingbird or, or whatever that might be. Um, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I feel like we need to care about the community as a whole because that's the best way that we're ever going to succeed is uh, realizing that all these different places have different strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. and that that's okay. Um, Playcrafters has attempted many, many musicals over the years. I was lucky enough to do Avenue Q there. Um that's a hard place to do musicals in. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. When we have two two theaters with between Spotlight and and Music Guild that have the stage, the space, and the infrastructure to do mm-hmm. large-scale musicals like that. Um, 
let's let the places that can do those big things do those big things or, or do those those uh, interesting things um, and let Playcrafters, which is a really nice, awesome, intimate space, do the really cool, awesome, intimate shows. Mm-hmm. Um, let's allow our theaters to do the strengths that they're really good at and allow our places that and not feel the need to do different things that are outside of their audience's scope just for the sake of having to do it. Yeah. This is going to seem a little random and out of the blue, but I've been, you know, waiting for the opportunity to ask it. Uh, what made you uh, want to be an educator? How did you end up at Augustana? Um, so I, uh, the sorry, <laughs> um, it's uh, it's kind of a long winding path to some extent. Sure. Um, when I first moved back to the Quad Cities, I freelanced. Um, almost exclusively while uh, making breakfast for everyone at Panera. Um, that was <laughs> that was my survival gig um, yeah. while my my now wife um, and I uh, kind of got resettled um, when we moved back from Florida. Um, but I was again, that's when I was taking every gig under the sun, humanly possible, to mm-hmm. just try and try and keep my head above water while also having having a survival job. Um, when the, uh, the venue manager position, um, it's the performance hall management, uh, uh, job at, at the music department at Augustana opened up. I saw it. I said, Ooh, it's lights and sound. Um, Mm -hmm. that's great. Uh, that's a way more viable survival job than going to Panera at five in the morning and (laughs) making sandwiches. Right. So, um, kind of jumped on that. Uh, that was the first time I ever had, had benefits and had, uh, I, I could kind of know what my like salary was mm-hmm. and like there was overtime. Like it was crazy. Um, <laughs> and I thought I was set. Like, I'm like, this is great. I can do theater. And then I can do theater on the side. Um, cause it's all like theater adjacent stuff. Um, and, uh, it was a really great job. Um, it still is a really great job. Um, Gabe's in that position now and he's, he's really, really succeeding with it. Um, but, um, I've, I've quickly realized I miss doing theater. Um, I miss doing theater professionally. I miss doing theater as my life. Um, and that didn't allow me to do theater as my life anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, with my Panera gig, I could still kind of do theater all day because mm-hmm. I would leave Panera at noon or one or whatever after the lunch rush. Right. And then I would have all day to do theater. Well, this, it was more of a nine to five. And even then it was more like a like noon to 10 p.m. because that's when events happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of lost a lot of that. I, I was still doing theater, but it was only like was only one show at a time. And, yeah. <laughs> and it was few and far between sometimes. Um, and then 2019, I was still working there, uh, but I kind of really missed theater so much that I, I overdid it on the theater end, um, where I directed three shows, was in one, <gasps> and designed several others all in 2019. Jeez. I think I ended up doing nine shows that year. Wow. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a break in 2020. And then that happened. And then uh, <laughs> And then I was I was forced to take a break. I only had one show lined up in 2020, and then you know, that one got pulled. But um, but that made me realize how much more I I missed it. Um, it was crazy. It was absolute hell to some extent. Um, ran myself ragged with it, but I had a smile on my face the whole time. Um, and so with the pandemic happening, uh, I decided to, to leave Augustana at that time and work for Circa as their technical director, um, so that I could go back to theater professionally. Um, and then it, it just so happened, um, working on a show at Circa, uh, Shelly happened to be directing it, um, and happened to mention that 
they were opening up the applications for the for the professional faculty and technical director positions here. Um, and I was like, well, that's that just feels like best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, I get to teach theater. I get to be involved in theater on a day-to-day basis. Theater is now my nine-to-five. Yeah. Um, but also I get to go back to this place that did take care of me, um, that gave me my first my first big boy job, um, <laughs> that I, I know the people. I know the atmosphere. I know because of the virtue of my old job, I knew all of the people in the theater department already. Um, I knew the space already. I knew uh, a lot of the periphery of the uh, academic structure as well because I know all the administrators from my time working on their events. I knew all of the people from the advancement office because of my time working for their events, right? So I know... Well, I just feel sorry for all the other candidates because you had... You oh, had. I'm, I'm well aware I had an, uh, a foot in the door already. <laughs> I um, think you had like half a body in the door. But... Uh, it was, and so there was a lot of serendipity to that, and and it just it felt like the right the right move at the right time. Um, they were obviously restarting doing theater normally um, in, in that capacity, so I was able to kind of get in the ground floor of that. Um, we're rebuilding this technical design program, and I got to get in the ground floor of that. Um, I've always adored working with Shelley. Um, I've come to really really adore working with with Dr. Popple and Jeff as well, um, who are all all three of them are just such masters of their their various arts um and being able to then interact with students and see that we are changing lives in a really positive way um i have a recent grad who who has just moved out of the area um and we're still in in relatively close contact um and i see i see him starting a journey that i started 10 years ago and i'm really excited to see where he's able to go um and knowing that i get to now do that year in and year out (laughs) and release release but uh send new new students out into the world um to then create to take their art with it with a little bit of me um and a little bit of all the other people that they've interacted with to then go hopefully further their career but also then have impact on someone else down the road um art is a cycle and that's really important to always remember um we're always kind of stealing some stuff from other people but we're also taking a little bit of everything we do with us um, and to be able to be someone who's going to hopefully leave a major imprint on these students as they go out and, and create their art. And that's that's really exciting for me. One could say that art is a circle mirror <laughs> transformation. It sure is. One more time. When is that show happening again? Uh, opens August 17th and then runs the, the last two weekends in August at Playcrafters. So make sure you get your tickets, playcrafters.com. Yes. Thank you so much for being in the studio today. This was so much fun. This was wonderful. Before we go, I want to ask you to one more time just say in your own words what community theater means to you. Uh, community theater is, to me, the lifeblood of theater. Um, it is a bunch of people coming together, um, regardless of their, their day-to-day circumstances, their day-to-day lives, their jobs, their, their families, their, whatever they might be doing. Um, they're able to enter that building, leave those things at the door and then create art in a, in a community setting. Um, they're doing it because they love it and they're doing it because they want to be there and they're doing it because they want to show the world something different and something new about themselves that they may not be able to do in their normal day-to-day life. Um, and that makes it really, really special and really, really enticing and, and honestly some of the most fun I've ever had in this industry. And why should people – I'm going to tweak my other question just a little bit for this, dep- for this episode. Why should people take their time to go to college theater shows? Because you will see stuff that you might not necessarily experience at the community level. 
Um, and that's not to say it's from a, uh, a skill issue or anything like that, because there are some incredibly talented people that have never gone to school for theater that are, are out in our communities doing it. Um, but just, again, based on our, our fact that we are not necessarily worrying about ticket sales or, or any of those sorts of things, that we're able to put on work that may not be a, a traditionally uh, done show at the community level. Um, so you will see work... Um, like this October, we're doing Kate Hamill's Dracula, um, which is a feminist revenge tragedy. Um, it is Dracula told essentially with some gender-swapped characters, such as Van Helsing, um, that uh, is telling the story from a female perspective um, and uh, really throwing Dracula on his head in a lot of different ways, both figuratively and literally. Um, and so that's not something that a normal community theater would probably be willing to produce because it's not the normal Dracula. It's not what the audience would be expecting if they are told they're going to go see Dracula. Mm -hmm. Yet I still feel like it is an important piece of work um, because of how it is telling the story and the, the subtext to it and the, uh, the message that it is given. Um, Cause normal Dracula, it doesn't necessarily have a terribly big message to it. Um, whereas Kate has found this, this very specific niche in it and, and the way Kate writes, um, Kate Hamill did Sense and Sensibility as well. Um, the way she writes those shows is to find the nuance to it um, in her in her adaptations. So we're willing to do those sorts of shows, and we want to do those sorts of shows, and we want to push our actors and push our technicians to do things a little bit outside of the box sometimes. Um, so there's no illegitimate theater, in my opinion, um, just difference. And, and academic theater is always willing to be on the, the different side of things. Go see Circle Mirror Transformation directed by Mike Trzinski, who has given us an hour and 10 minutes of his time today, right. which we really appreciate. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Glad to do it. Thanks so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Footlights, a community theater podcast from the Quad Cities. Footlights is a production of WVIK, Quad Cities, and PR. I'm Jaren Michelle. And I'm Chris Hicks. Break, Break a leg. leg.